spend the rest of your time getting ready. Think it over. Nobody knows that answer but you and God. Is there anything undone that you'd like to do? Before the midnight hour? Or have you been ready? And if he comes, I'm ready. Are you thinking of some things right now that you haven't done that needed to be done? that you wanted to preach that you haven't got around to it yet? Is there somebody down in the deep of your heart nobody knows but you? But if you knew he was coming tonight you're going to talk to him a little bit. that you'd like to try to fill. If you would have known that Sunday night was the last night in your own church, did you have the service you'd like to have had? Did you worship the way that you should have worshipped? Did you respond to the preaching of that old-time preacher man like you should have? Or would you really want to have another try at it? You see, I'm talking about being ready. Ready to go. Brother Holly. Fantastic Bible study today. But if you knew that was the last one you'd ever teach, teach it like you think you would if you'd have known that. For the message last night, would you have fixed it the same way if you'd have thought that was the final message? Or would you have changed it? But of course, I, did you sing tonight? If you'd have known that this is the last time you'd ever sing, did you sing like you'd want to sing if you knew that? Dave? Brother Wolf? Sister Wolf? You've done a fantastic job. But is that really the way you'd have done it if this was setting the stage for the coming of our Lord? Something to think about. 
nothing holding us here. But Hallie, you really don't have to go back to Houston. But Edwards, we don't have to complete this camp meeting. Honey, I'd just as soon go to glory for Mississippi as I have Texas. Hallelujah. Somewhere down in our heart, we don't believe he's coming tonight. And therefore, we're just going to skip along. And somehow hope and pray that somebody is going to touch the nerve and sensitize us to the Spirit before he comes. And I'll know it. Oh God. Not one person in this house tonight really wants to be lost. Oh, you may have on that little front. You may laugh in our face. You may say, let me alone, but you really don't mean that. You're not near as tough as you think you are. You see, when God starts jerking the plastic off of you, it don't take him long to get you down to where you're willing to talk. Lord, I, I want to talk to you. I wonder what kind of a preacher we'd really be if we knew that this was it. Now this is it. One of our old pioneers, and I'll let you sit down in just a minute, but I'm going to be standing up for a couple of hours at least. Somebody told me today, Brother Foss, I wish you didn't preach so long. Honey, you haven't heard me preach long yet. Just stick around. Hallelujah. One of our old preacher men, Brother Holly, and something is drawing my heart back to that old-fashioned, old-time ministry. Come time for him to die. Knew he was going to die. Had terminal cancer. He fought it. His body racked in pain. The day came that he was in the bed. Somehow he knew that it wasn't long. I'm going to leave here. He called his family in and he said, Mom, that was the boys. They were preachers. He said, there's one thing that I want to do one more time before I die. They said, well, Dad, what is it? You know, I told my old daddy the other day, found him crying in the office, weeping his heart out. Found him in there and he was praying, God, let me preach just one more time. Been quite a while since he filled the pulpit. And I heard him asking the Lord just one more time. 
this old preacher man sit, laid there in the bed and told him, said, I'd like to feel that anointing from God one more time. He said, bring some pillows and prop me up in the bed. Body thin. And they said, now, Dad, you can't do that. Too, uh, too strenuous on you and just exactly what I told my dad daddy if you never preach another sermon you've preached enough he said but son you don't understand and I don't suppose I do the Lord cares maybe someday I will this fine old man said yeah prop me up in the bed bring me my Bible he said, call all the kids in. They're all here. Get them around the bedside. Tell the grandchildren to come in. Got them all in the bedroom. They said, Daddy, don't do that. You don't have the strength. He said, I want to feel that's something. One more time. Hallelujah. They all got around the bed and he opened that old book. And where else could he open it? But to the second chapter of Acts. And he started to read. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Hallelujah. He ran through and said they were in one accord in one place. He read about a rushing mighty wind that filled the house where they were sitting. Then when he got to verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God give the utterance. He closed that book and he said, I'm going to preach one more time on Pentecost. And for about 20 minutes, that old pioneer like an old fire horse that they turned out into the field. My dad told me, he said he used to keep the horses in Oklahoma. He said every time the fire bell would ring, them old horses that they had turned out that couldn't run anymore, that couldn't pull the wagon. He said, I've seen some of them that couldn't even get off of the ground, but their old feet would just... Some of them would get up and run to the gate. That old man for 20 minutes began to preach Pentecost. The anointing of the Holy Ghost came down. Strength came to his body. He preached with his heart. And with that, when he finished, handed him the book 
and said, I'm ready. Turned his face toward the wall, closed his eyes and went home to be with Jesus. Wonder how it would be tonight if we knew this was it. Hallelujah. I wonder how would you how would you pray? The one you've prayed for, would you still pray just like you've been praying? How about your burden? Would you still leave that burden just like it is, or would you really? Well, Lord, wait just a little bit. I got something to do. God help us to be ready. God help us to be ready. Oh, I feel a holy hush of the Spirit come into this place tonight. I don't know how far I'm going to go. I don't know how much preaching I'm going to do. But I want to read to you tonight. The things that are happening are going to determine whether we're ready or whether we're not. A big sign that I can't get away from. It said, Now is what memories are made of. I want to read a verse of scripture in your hearing, and I want you to kind of remember this. I'll be coming back to it perhaps tomorrow night. Friday night, Ezekiel chapter 8, notice the reading of the word of the Lord, verse 12, then I'll read verses 16 through 18, drop down into chapter 9, and read verses 3 to 6, notice the reading of the word of the Lord. unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients, meaning old men, of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery, don't forget that word. I'll be coming back to that, perhaps tomorrow night, in the chambers of his imagery. For they say the Lord, see it not? The Lord hath forsaken the earth. And he brought me into the house, or into the inner court, of the Lord's house. 
And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple. Remember that position. And their faces toward the east. And they worship the sun toward the east. Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen, O son of man? Is it a right thing to the house of Judah? that they commit the abominations which they commit here. For they have filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me in anger. And lo, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore will I also deal in fury. Mine eyes shall not spare, neither will I have pity, though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. Chapter 9, verse 3. And the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the city, through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and the men that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And he said unto the others, Go ye after him through the city, and smite, and let your eye, let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old men, slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near the man upon whom is the mark. And they begin at the sanctuary. They begin at the ancient men which were before the house. Very heavy reading. Out of the man's imagery. 
became an abomination. The Lord said, when you pray, you look toward Jerusalem. But here was 25 men with their backs turned away from Jerusalem. Away from the temple. The Lord entered into that house and said, I want to show you something. And there was six angels that went with him. But the one I want you to notice tonight is the man with the ink on. And I want to use the subject, Mark. God be with us, we pray. Accomplish that that needs to be accomplished here tonight. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. Israel in captivity, Israel in idolatry, Israel, out of the imagery of their heart came abomination. There are some things tonight that are strangely peculiar about concerned men. Men that are concerned. It really does not matter whether he's saved or whether he's unsaved. If he's concerned, there's something about it. And when we began to look at the condition that is around us, there is something that screams at us. You need to be concerned. You know, it's got to where a man that's really concerned is almost an oddball. Right. Set apart. He's different than anybody else. It's not a beautiful thing to be concerned. You are a warrior. 
you've got nerve problems. You've got things wrong with you. If you're concerned, you're boring in trouble. Why worry? Things are going well. I was told not long ago, why don't you let well enough alone? Why worry? It's not worry. It's a concern. There's a difference. I hope that you will pardon me in this district for mentioning an old man that's made an impression in my life. But I hope I never forget the heritage that that old dad of mine left with me. Many times when I go to my father's house, I can get out of the car and walk in. Mother's in the back bedroom. A lot of times now, mother's in a wheelchair. Just able to walk to the church. She won't allow anybody to push her into the auditorium. She wants to walk. But she'll be in the back room. And I'll look around and I don't see Dad. I've gone to that little office in that house. I have no way of knowing other than I have picked up the handkerchief. And I could squeeze the tears out of it. I wonder what a tear weighs on the scales of God. I wonder. It means something. Because he took time out and 30 minutes out of heaven to open some vows and wipe the tears out of the eyes of his church. I wonder what a tear weighs. much about. All of his children have the Holy Ghost and they're in church. A grandson in the ministry. My youngest boy full of the Holy Ghost. My sister's oldest boy with the Holy Ghost. Her family in the church. Some grandchildren that's not saved and I thought, well, perhaps that's the burden, but it's not it. I listened to him here about three weeks ago. He had a piece of paper in front of him. And at the top of that paper, Stanley W. Chambers, Brother McFarland, James L. Kilgore, Nathaniel Urshan, Brother Edwards down about so far in that list was Legion Edwards. I stood there and listened to him as he prayed for that general board of a church that he loved so much. Not just saying the names. I asked mother, I slipped in, I said, Mom, how long has daddy been praying? She said he's been in there about two and a half hours. The cushion wet. Praying for the church. Hear me. There's something strangely different 
about concern, men. Men that are concerned. But when we began to look at the condition of things around us, it almost demands that we become concerned. But because we see it every day, we become calloused to it. Feel your hands, you men that work on a manual job. You've got hard spots in those hands. And the reason is, is because you're constantly associated with a pulling of a handle or a moving of an object, holding on to a wheel of some kind. That hand gets rough, callous. I wonder, is this the thing that has happened to me? Am I just being calloused over that I'm becoming accustomed by the watchings to the things around me? Therefore, it doesn't bother me anymore. hear me tonight. I want you to hear me. They tell me that, and I talked to a locksmith a few days ago, I said, uh, what about putting a safe in the church? So what can you want? I said, man, I don't know. Oh, you're in places here, you don't worry about it. But they've started in our city taking up collections. You're talking about getting an offering. Honey, they did about four men come in that church and get them offering plates, and you look down the barrel of a 357 Magnum, and they say, Give, you give. And it's not what the Lord moved on you to give. Didn't happen to me in the church, but it happened to me in a restaurant not long ago. That was a bunch of us sitting there, and he'd come in and and he made us lay down on the floor and he looked at me and said, lay down! I said, honey, I'm low as I can get. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They come in and do that. You, you'll give. Don't you worry. You'll give. And uh, so I said, well, we'll... Of course, at our church, I've got a man there, ever service. He's in the building. He's armed. Who ever heard of having to have somebody? Oh, you say, Brother Foster, are you telling us that you preached under armed guard? Honey, every Sunday night. That's foolishness. But he is the type of officer that he had lose everything that he's worked for all these years if they found him and he wasn't armed. You watch the offering being taken and 
Whenever it's over, you'll see a man get up and walk toward the office. Unnoticed, that's what he is. I said, I don't know, just the safe in the church. And, and I said, the thing that worries me is I can't remember numbers too well. How in this world would you open it? If I was gone, nobody else knew the combination and, and you didn't know it and I had it and you couldn't find a slip. You know what he told me? He said, Brother Foss, there is a solution that I can put on my fingers that will eat away the toughness of that skin to where I can take hold of the dial and turn it and feel those tumblers fall and I can open that safe. And naturally that started me to thinking, oh, that I could find the solution of the Spirit that I could put on me, Brother Holly, to where I could walk up to the storehouse of God and I could begin to turn that dial and somehow I could feel that thing open and God would allow the very thing that I need in a church to come to where we But we have become so accustomed to what's going on that we have gone into a conspiracy of silence. We don't look at it anymore. We're not accustomed to seeing people worship deeply with all of their heart. Therefore, we look at it and we think, well, whenever a person is worshiping, there's something wrong with them. Oh, don't tell me that. And when they come into your church, you're just like I am. If they get way out with their worship, because you don't feel what they're feeling, you begin to look for a way to tap them on the shoulder and say, Okay, buddy. Enough. Kind of tone it down. Have we got to the place we really don't know what real worship is? Is it a fact that you can tell a man you didn't shout tonight, therefore you didn't get a blessing? Honey, are you telling me that running the aisles and dancing is the only way that there is to worship? what he done with Ezekiel. Oh, I've preached that there needs to be weeping between the porch and the altar, and I've preached about how much it needs to go on, and what happens, but oh, when God walked into his house, 
and he saw what was going on. He said, come here, son of man. I want to show you something. Honey, it's been so long since some of us have walked back between the porch and the altar that we forgot what's going on out yonder. While you're here preaching, while you're here under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, you've become accustomed to certain things and you're not sensitive to what's happening out there. porch in the altar. I want you to go back there and look. You see, it is possible that we do not know what being concerned really is. The art of burden bearing no longer exists among us like it used to. I preached to you last night my heart I said, there was no intercessor. And I come to you with something else tonight. There is no praying in travail. There is no burden thing in our church today. And God knows that something has got to happen to the church if we intend to see revival like we want to see it. Oh, but the first, speak for yourself, oh yeah. Speak for myself. I go to church on Sunday night. I preach to eight or nine hundred people. And there they are. Oh, you're doing great, Brother Foss. Wonderful church. What am I doing? Two and a half million people. Every church put together in our city, Brother Holly. We may have on a Sunday night five thousand in attendance. What are you doing? Jackson, Mississippi. Tupelo, Mississippi. Macomb, Brookhaven. Wherever you might be. What are you really doing when you stop to consider it? Yet the fact still remains. Unless Zion travails, you're not going to see it. Well, I want you to get with me tonight. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. I got my watch out, and I've been preaching to you now about uh, about 20 minutes, and I haven't even started yet. I'm going to preach in a little while. Sensitive, concerned. I'm concerned about it. We've got to the place that revivals don't come by travail. Do you know how revivals come now? And we're just about all guilty. Got the money in the bank. I know a guy that's a good preacher. And he's in my little clique. And he can do the job. He can turn the crank. I'll get him. And honey, we'll run the aisles and we'll shout and we'll dance and we'll play through a few. And when we're through, well, they're gone. He's gone. And everything's gone. You know what that's telling me? Oh, you're not going to like what I'm saying, but I'm going to say it anyhow. See, that goes with the package, Brother Holly. We don't know what travail is. Why is it that you see so many come in the church 
person. They go out the back door after you've paid them through. I'll tell you. The same reason that you see babies stuffed in garbage cans, in the top dresser drawers, chained to the bedstead, left out on the street, and there's 900 babies in my city in one institution left for adoption. No mother. Not an orphan. Just left. Abandoned. No concern. You know why? Why, Brother Foss? It's come to the place, sir, that this world knows nothing about travail. A mother expecting no longer knows about going into the jaws of death. Brother, have you got children? The day that your wife brought children to this world, it was different then than it is now. You hear me? Hear what I'm telling you? There was a day when babies were born in the Pentecostal church that it was different than what it is now. An expecting mother goes to the hospital feeling fine. They tell her what day to come in. She goes in, lays down, goes to sleep. Wakes up a mama. I hope you see what I'm talking about tonight. And this is what's happening inside our church between the porch and the altar. We've come to the place that we can buy revivals. We can sing through revivals. We can do all of that. But oh God, sir, this book tells me that you're begotten. You see, that kind of revivals don't exist anymore. How long has it been since you heard somebody in travail? Real travail. Real travail. You found them somewhere. They were down. Oh, God. It sounded like every fiber in them was breaking. God. God. Oh, I'll tell you, sir. I've seen it one day today. I'll never forget it. I watched a little woman about 105 pounds. Needed a revival. Had to have it. Didn't know how to do it. Didn't know where it was coming from. Somebody had to get a hold of God. That particular night... Brother Hooks, for the first time in over two years in that church, I went to preach for him. They said, Brother Foss, nobody's got the Holy Ghost in two years. And oh, they said, if you would just come. But honey, this is where our thinking is wrong. You didn't need Brother Foss. What you needed was a genuine case of the Holy Ghost to come and sweep down between the altar. Suddenly that night, God come into the service. The altar filled up. To my amazement, the altar workers were very scarce. Nobody was even praying with this old woman. And suddenly she just lifted up her hands and began to speak in other tongues. 
You know, we like to uh, fix the thing where it, we lay hands on somebody. We wait until they're just about ready to play through. Hey, you hear what I'm saying? And here we come and we'll lay hands on them. We like them to start speaking in tongues while we got our hand there because it adds to our image. Honey, could it be that you're standing in the church with your back toward the temple and God is saying, look at it. I walked down the other night when I did, there was a little girl in our altar praying, and I could see the Holy Ghost on her, and I walked over and laid hands on her, and just like most of her, most of the pastors would do, and, and I stood there for a moment, and I took my hand off her head and walked. knows how to let the air out of our little balloon. Yeah. And I walked away and when I got down to the other end of the altar, I looked up there and there was that precious little girl with her hands up speaking in tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. God didn't want me to have the glory for what he was fixing to do for that child. He wanted to be that girl and her experience with God. This woman, nobody put her there. And when she did, a soul was born into the kingdom of the Lord. You hear what I'm saying? When service was over, we had to go and literally carry her the car. Are you so up that you do not feel that spirit anymore? Where's the Hannah? She walked into the sanctuary. She buried her head at an altar and she prayed. So strange was her praying to the priesthood. So strange was her praying to the man of God that when he looked at her, he said, Hannah, get up, honey, and go home. And when you're sober, you come back and we'll pray. Oh, that God would pick us up and take us by the hand back between the porch and the altar and let us see what's going on back there tonight. Oh, when Hannah looked at him and he said, you're drunk. Hannah, she said, oh, no, no, I'm not drunk. What's the matter, Hannah? I've never seen anybody act this way. I've never seen anybody do that, Hannah. Oh, but he lied, honey, your eyes is old and they're heavy and 
And it's not like it used to be. And it's the first time that anybody has come to this place. And Eli, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. But e, honey, you're, 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 you're drunk. Go on. Oh, no, no. I'm not drunk. I'm not drunk. I'm not drunk. I'm not drunk. I've desired. I've just poured out my heart to God. I've told him, either give me children or let me die. Concerned. 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 Would you recognize it if it really came? Would you see it if it really come? But still, when we look at it, sir, when we see what's happening, we look at it, I wonder, ministering brethren tonight, my friend, my colleague, I wonder if you really knew what was going on between the porch and the altar. Wouldn't your ministry change? Wouldn't that message be a little different than what it had been? You wouldn't care whether people run the aisles. You wouldn't care whether they shouted. The only thing that you would care about, God, have I reached them? Have I reached them? Have I reached them? And when God took Ezekiel by the arm, he said, I want you to come back and look now. Let's go back yonder. And I want you to see what's going on in my house. I want you to look at it. But Edwards, I pray that God takes you by the arm. I want you to look us over with the Lord. Brother Watkins, I want God to look us over. Brother Holly, let the Lord carry you tomorrow between the porch and the altar and look at us and talk to us out of your heart. Oh, listen, sir. Listen to me. If you could understand what's happening back there, it would be a different story altogether. But before he carried Ezekiel to the back to, between the porch and the altar, he looked at him and he said, I want to show you something, son of man. Here come six angels. Five of them had swords. One of them had an acorn. That acorn was by his side. When he got back there, he said, you see, the old men, they've said in their heart, out of the imagery of their soul, they've come up with a notion that I am not in the earth anymore. And that it's darkness and I can't see. He said, Ezekiel, look at it. You see what's happening. They've turned their back against Jerusalem and against the temple. And they're worshiping a sun god. Oh, the god would help Pentecost to put away the strange gods that are among us. And cause us to get our heart, our soul in tune with God. Oh, I wish I had about three hours here. Oh, we haven't got any gods, Brother Foss. Honey, when you dance just because certain people sing, there's something wrong with you. 
when you stand up and cheer just because certain preachers preach, there's something wrong with you. When you stand up and shout just because certain things happen, there's something wrong with you. Look at it. Look at it, Ezekiel. I see it, God. They've gone into idolatry. Yeah, but that's not what's so bad, Ezekiel. They say that I can't see. They think that I'm a patsy. And I won't do anything about it. But, Ezekiel, I want you to see what I'm fixing to do. He said, here's these six men. Hey, you, with the ink horn. I want you to get up. There he stood, the angel of God. He said, I want you to start through my house. I want you to go through the city. And every man that's concerned, mark him. Mark him. If he's sighing, go to your translation and see what it means. If he's heartbroken, if he's weeping, Brother Sanford, what's happened to our weeping prophets? Have we all become playboys? Do we all belong to the showcase? But when you find a man that's concerned, put a mark on him. Ezekiel, do you see it? Yeah. Ezekiel, I want you to hear what's happening. Every man that's got that mark is going to be all right. But you five other angels, draw your sword, and I want you to go through my house and begin with the old men, the ancients. Every man that don't have the mark I want you to kill him. I'm persuaded to believe that we could go back between the porch and the altar tonight and we realize that the Holy Ghost is coming here and he's got his ink horn and he's marking somebody. Brother Hookside, stand up and say, God, please put a mark on me somewhere. Oh, I know you don't maybe agree with what I'm saying pastor of fine church a few months back I was preaching in just such a service as this the Holy Ghost quiet nobody moving power was so heavy I looked back and coming in the left hand door of that building I couldn't see any features. Now you can say what you want to. I'm opening myself for criticism. I'm big enough to take it. Honey, get on with it. But before you do, go back between the porch and the altar. And then see how it comes out. All I could tell was it was the image of two men. They were dressed in a shade of gray. I could make out no features. It startled me. I, said, I stepped 
back to the pulpit. And I watched it, Brother Holly. I saw the spirit of death walk into my church. My wife sits here tonight. She'll bear witness to what I'm telling you. When I looked, I saw those two men come down the aisle. And every church has a certain area where strong men sit. I don't know why. I cannot answer it. But they come to that area of my church. Great, strong, powerful. When I preached, that was the part that stood. When we worshiped, that's the part that stood. When we prayed, it was in that area where some of the strongest prayer warriors that we had were sitting that night. I watched those two figures walked to a certain place. They stopped in the middle of the aisle and looked around. And slowly began to dissipate. They disappeared. I told my church, between the front door and the altar, I've just seen the spirit of death. And that church went on its face to pray. Within just a few days' time, a senior member of our church board, 30 years, fine, great man, powerful, deeply rooted in the church, family in the church. The man, when we had our groundbreaking, I gave him a bottle of oil. He went out and he anointed the prayer room on the ground. Brother Holly, you've heard me talk about that service. That man. Just a few days, I was away from home and my phone rang. Brother Foss, come home. Brother Jack passed away right at the end of that bench. The angel stopped. I went with another man and his family. My brother-in-law, fine man, strong, healthy. Went to the hospital for surgery. I never will forget. I told my sister, I'm going downstairs with the two boys and we'll be back in just a little bit. When I walked back upstairs, I heard my name on the intercom. Come to consultation room. I walked in. My sister grabbed me by the lapels of my coat. Harlan, Jimbo is leaving me. He's dying. Just a few days, another member of my church board got out of bed, dressed, fell over, dead. Wasn't but just another month, Brother Dahl Wiggins, a great man, Sunday school superintendent, assistant for many years, sitting in Sunday school, answered a question. He was visiting another church up the country on vacation. When he answered the question sitting on the front seat, the pastor said he took a deep breath and fell out on the floor. I wonder if we were sensitive enough 
what I'd see in this tabernacle tonight. Has the death angel walked into this place with an acorn by his side? Brother Foss, I don't believe that, honey. You better hear me. You better hear me. I don't know why I'm preaching so straight to the ministry in this camp. That's out of my line. It's out of my context. But Edwards, when a man loses his place in the ministry, he's dead. He's dead. You hear me? They come in before this district board, Brother Watkins, Brother Sanford, Brother Edwards, Brother Hooks. Y'all examine them and you have to tell him we're sorry, buddy. Weep. Cry. But you've got to hand in your papers. You, you've lost it. You're not concerned. I wonder which one of you ministers it is that I'm talking to tonight that that devil has put a mark on your forehead and you're marked to die. Your days in the ministry is numbered. Ah, oh, pastor, who are you? Where are you? That a trap has been set. And that trap is about to be sprung. And oh, tonight, if I could cause you to step back between the porch and the altar, and you'd see that angel of God with an acorn on his side and a mark, could I beg you somehow to get to where you could say, God, please put a mark on me. Please put a mark on me. Please do it, God. Don't go by me. Would you come and touch me somehow? Let it be me. I want to be different than what I am. Somewhere, somewhere, I've got to attract God's attention. Let me preach to you a little while longer tonight. If I haven't got his attention, I've got to do it. God, please, I don't want to fail you. God, I want you to put a mark on me tonight. I want to be able to tell you that if I leave here before this meeting's over, that I've preached to this camp what you gave to me. Well, listen to me. I labored under it tonight. I almost decided I wouldn't do it because of the Spirit. But, oh, listen to me. I feel heavy upon my heart tonight that I'm preaching to dying men. Then a friend, if I was you, knowing what I know about this service tonight, that spirit walked down that aisle. I'd get a hold of it. Don't pass me. Don't pass me. I'd get out of the aisle. If I didn't feel like praying, I'd ask God, God, don't pass me tonight. 
let me feel that. You see, we haven't took time to go back between the porch and the altar and see the backs that's turned away from the temple of God. Who are you? Where are you? Son of man, you see him with his ink horn? Yeah. He's coming down this aisle. moving around. We've talked about how beautiful it looks from up here. I wonder how it looks from out there. I wonder what God's saying about me right now. I wonder what God thinks about us right now. I wonder who it is. He's saying, look at him, son of man. I was made, I was reminded tonight. It doesn't happen often, but I've been told three different times in this camp meeting, I wish you'd preach a certain sermon over. One of them was crying stones and I preached at Philadelphia. Another one was in a youth camp, Simon, Simon. Oh, and I, they said, Brother Foss, when you said Simon and you said you saw him out at the cold drink stand, I'll never forget it. Listen to me, church. Listen. If I could see tonight what the Holy Ghost is looking at, I'm afraid that I'd fall prostrate on my face and ask God, God, just a minute, send that man with an acorn and let him touch somebody. Let him touch somebody. Let him touch somebody. that spirit chance tonight. Oh God, give us that message, Lord. you see it but you don't know where it listed that's what you're seeing happening in this place tonight 
that spirit has come into this place. The inkhorn is dripping wet. It's drawn. It's drawn. It's drawn. It's drawn. Oh, God. Oh, God. He may never pass this way again. And if this is his last time to come by you, attract his attention. Attract his attention. Put a mark on me, God. Put a mark on me, God. (laughs) I feel that I need to open the altar so somebody can wave a flag somewhere. God. Please, God, don't leave me to die. And so I'm going to open this altar if you want to come. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to tell you to come now and come quickly.